The Chiefs were victims of their own hubris. Their own arrogance. The same thing that burned me and why I had to answer for that on the show earlier. Before I break that down for you, I must say, Mitch, nice work to play the weekend here when everybody just hated on his halftime show. I did not see the halftime show, but it did not seem to land very well. I've had to explain who the weekend is to a number of my uh, friends and colleagues who are far older than me. Yeah, you and a, a lot of other Chiefs fans were, were ready for the weekend to be over. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Hey now! It's pretty good. And so it's appropriate. That's an appropriate lead into this. The autopsy on the Chiefs season here is that they did not repeat as champs because they were victims of their own hubris, which is, a, I think, a fairly common thing and why you see teams very rarely repeat as champions and never have we had a three-peat for a champion in the NFL, right? I, it doesn't, I'm not here to complain about the officiating as bad as that was. This doesn't even directly have to do with like the offensive line issues and the injury issues that clearly were a massive part of the Chiefs' undoing there. It's all about the arrogance and the hubris. Well, I think the easy part to dissect here is just the, the more outward signs of being cocky and arrogant, which I, I would tie to just the sloppiness that we saw from this team and, and saw throughout the year. I mean, that was the story through the regular season. The Chiefs aren't winning by enough. They get out in front of teams and then let their foot off the gas. They're, there was sloppiness throughout the playoffs. The Buffalo game, Exhibit A, you fall behind 9 to nothing. Mecole Hardman's out there muffing a punt. Goes back to the playoff run last year, what, 24 to nothing against Houston. Down a couple of scores to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, never seemingly ready to go because there was always this idea that the switch could be flipped. You saw big drops in both of those games early by Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. The playoff games last year, what comes out in the Super Bowl? Some early drops from Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Chris Jones gets a 15-yard penalty. I've already said my piece on Chris Jones for the show today. But just a lot of that going on. A lot of that seemingly unprepared and unwilling to realize that if you do not come with it right away, you can very well get beat in the Super Bowl. Tyreek Hill drops that touchdown pass that hits him in the face mask. I mean, later in the game, Tyreek finds himself getting a peace sign right back at his face, which frankly he deserved after, you know, backflipping into the end zone against Tampa the first time these two teams played. Like, that's how the Chiefs have operated with the level of arrogance that I think in a lot of ways serves them well, but clearly it got out of hand here by the end. And if we are dissecting the game, Tyreek Hill's drop does make a pretty big difference. If that is seven to nothing instead of three to nothing, it feels a lot different. Maybe Andy Reid is more content running the ball. Same with Travis Kelsey's drop. On that was a third and eleven. Not being locked in and ready to go really cost them. All the way down to, I mean, the game is still somewhat in the balance when Daryl Williams drops the most incredible throw we've ever seen from Patrick Mahomes at the goal line. Should have been one of the best touchdowns, if not the best touchdown in Super Bowl history. But I think the part where this is even more apparent beyond just the obvious of the players and the, and the fans and the fan base is the coaching. 
And, and I, I get that Andy Reid very well may have been distracted because of everything going on in his personal life and within his locker room with what happened with Britt Reid, his son. But the game plan, I think the most damning stat to me that I saw coming out of the game was that the Chiefs went with five-man protection on 92% of the dropbacks. I mean, so there's no tight end help hanging in to block. There's no running back help hanging in to block. In a game where you rearranged three of your offensive linemen, they had to swap three different offensive linemen into different places because of the Eric Fisher injury and just some wear and tear throughout the season. Mitchell Schwartz being gone, a couple of opt-outs, LDT not there. The kid from TCU, Lucas Niang, not being there. To me, that is hubris and arrogance. Thinking that, hey, we can still go do what we always do, even though Fisher is gone, even though we're going up against one of the better pass rushes in the NFL. Now, notice I didn't say definitively the best or like one of the best defenses we've ever seen because I don't think that's what Tampa was. And maybe that's where that arrogance comes in. Not thinking it's some kind of all-time defense. But it was definitely good enough to tear you up, and the Chiefs didn't come out with that in the game plan to try and do something extra there, and it wouldn't even adjust. Would not adjust to that throughout the game. And then we have the end of the first half. The end of the first half is a more obvious and apparent level of arrogance from the coaching staff and Andy Reid, which is it's 14-6. to Tampa hands the ball off. You stop them for no gain. They're going to go into the locker room at 14-6. to You're getting the ball to start the second half. I suppose you could sell me on the idea this was more desperation than arrogance. E- either one. It's not very good. I go back to that casino line. Like Either you were in on it or you didn't know about it. Either way, you're fired. But it felt to me more like arrogance. Like, hey, we're going to do this. Tom Brady, we're not respecting you enough. We're going to get this stop. We're, we're going to get the ball back, and we'll uh, squeeze some points out of this before we go to the locker room. Instead of having some humility for the fact that that is, decrepit as he may be, the greatest quarterback that's ever lived that has the ball there in that situation. Also a team in Tampa that broke the back of the Green Bay Packers in that same situation at the end of the first half of the NFC Championship game. So why? Why? Call not only the first time out, but especially the second time out when it's third and two. That is hubris and arrogance getting in the way. So whether it's Sammy Watkins talking about whether or not he's going to come back for a third ring in the week leading up to the Super Bowl, or it's Andy Reid deciding to call timeouts and not respect Tom Brady, There was a lot of arrogance baked into everything that the Chiefs did, and it finally came and bit them. That that is what happened. More than anything else. To me, that's what happened to the Chiefs. It it was deja vu what happened at the the end of the first half with the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl. The Bucs were going to be conservative, potentially just take it to the locker room, not worry about it. And then the opposing team takes a timeout. They think, oh, maybe we can, you know, even though we haven't been too successful against this Buccaneer defense, maybe we can go steal some points at the end of the half. We get the ball to start the second half. All of a sudden, we can take the lead, punch him in the mouth, and turn the game into, in another direction. And that is absolutely absolutely what 
what did not happen for the Chiefs' sake, and it really came back to bite them. Even though the Chiefs get it, they got three points to start the second half. But man, it, I, I would agree with you on that point. I did not like the timeouts from uh, from Coach Andy Reid. With the offensive line, I mean, look at it this way. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was he was pressured twenty nine times. But only on two of those pressures, just two, did Tampa Bay bring blitzers. All right. Other than that, it was the four-man front, just a normal pass rush that was getting to Patrick Mahomes, and he's out there scrambling for 497 yards. All right. I would imagine Andy Reid was thinking, we need our weapons out there. We're, we're passing. I mean, we're desperate. And when most of those plays, it was later in the game when you saw Patrick Mahomes scrambling all over the place, trying to make a play, because he's got a lot of guys out there. There's options. He just needs one guy to get open. But he just had no time to really think about it too much. Well, that's, There's a lot of desperation. I, I would say bring somebody in there, pick up one guy, give him a little bit more time, and let somebody else work their way open. Let one of those weapons work their way open. Uh, it, it just felt so much to me like it's, hey, th- this is what we always do. It doesn't matter. We've got a good enough offensive line. Without Fisher, they'll figure it out. We'll be able to do that instead of being like, hey, man, this is a legitimate problem. This is not only just a problem for us, but this defensive front is a legitimate problem to try to block. Like Not respecting Shaq Barrett, JPP, and Indomitian Sue enough. I know, it all felt to me like getting too arrogant. And, and we've seen this before. Like the, the Seahawks. The Seahawks should have been back-to-back Super Bowl champs if not for Pete Carroll thinking, we can squeeze a pass in here. We can throw it at the goal line against Malcolm Butler. Who is Malcolm Butler? And that was Pete Carroll being too arrogant instead of just handing the ball off to Marshawn Lynch, and that kept Seattle from being back-to-back champs. Like, it's hard when you're on a run like that and you get back to the Super Bowl. You know, the Kanye song, one of my favorite Kanye songs, Can't Tell Me Nothing, man, you can't tell me nothing. We're back here in the Super Bowl. We've been doing this the way that we've been doing this. My belief doesn't stink. And and I like that. Again, I like that, and that's a big part of why I leaned in as much as I did on the Chiefs. It's so easy to get involved in that, but I I think you have to look back and say it flew too close to the sun with a lot of that. Well, it was too easy because you're thinking about one player. Like, what can stop Patrick Mahomes? We found out that when he's on the run, he's having to make the, these, these desperation plays, which he almost did, just need to be caught. Uh, th- that that might have done a little something for the Chiefs. Maybe a couple of touchdowns could have been put on the board. But the offensive line, you just didn't think about it that much. Because, well, Patrick Mahomes isn't on the offensive line, but people forget that the offensive line is one of the most important, if I call it the most important unit on a football team, is the offensive line. Because if you're not protecting your quarterback, what play is he going to make? Yeah, I would have never. I would have thought you could just send five free rushers at Patrick Mahomes, and they'd figure it out. I'm but, sure if if Andy Reid had a choice, he would go back in time. I'm sure he would too. Uh, okay, all right. Thanks for that. Doesn't it feel great to play that two days in a row, man? Two days in a row on the show, we get the Bruce Weber pain train because last night Mike McGurl went. God level on Oklahoma. Mike McGurl went God level with three straight threes in the span of just over a minute. And bam, good night. See you later. That's it. That is something that 
McGurl absolutely deserves. I could not be more thrilled for Mike McGurl that that happened. I don't think that is in the same lore as Jacob Pullen dropping 38 on Kansas or Cartier Jada and his breakaway jam against Kansas. We're not talking about that, but that was still a very cool moment for McGurl. I also don't think that's a moment that should move the needle a ton on where things are going in the future, but I'm not here to spend the majority of the show talking about that. That does deserve some shine. That absolutely deserves some shine. The fact that the team won last night and the fact that we got to see Mike McGurl do this. Davion Bradford tonight has been really good here in the second half, and they're helping off the basketball. A big three from the corner for Mike McGurl. A-State at home trying to pull off an upset at number seven, Oklahoma. Well, look at the way Elijah Harkless is guarding, but a step back by McGurl. And he ties the game. McGurl again. Oh, my goodness. Mike McGurl on fire on senior night, and K-State's up three. We can have all the conversations in the world that you want about what it means for the future and does this, uh, should you buy in, does this mean Bruce Weber is for sure coming back, all of that. But set it aside for just a second. And even if you're like me and it's not moving you a lot on the future. Mike McGurl deserved that moment by being somebody that has stuck around the program for a long time when he experienced the highest of highs and has now gone through the lowest of lows the last two years. And that has to be particularly painful for him because he's now the elder statesman. Like, this year has been his year where he's the one old guy. He's the senior. He is the player that always gets singled out on the broadcast that was the one that was around for a Big 12 championship and an Elite Eight. He is the one guy still on the roster left around from that time. So it would be natural to feel like everyone's looking around at you like, dude, why can't you figure this out? Why why do you suck so bad that the team sucks so bad? Like, I can understand how those feelings would naturally come into play. And there has been plenty of hate out there on social media for McGurl. Frustration, perhaps a better word from fans. And in a way, deservedly so. I still would tell you Mike has been asked to do too much, and that's really the main issue with fan perception and all of that, and that's where the problems come from, and it's really, I mean, that's on Bruce Weber, not Mike McGurl, but it doesn't make any of what he's had to endure this year any less real. That doesn't make any of what he's had to experience any less painful if you're somebody that's actually out there and going through it. And he is somebody that always answers the questions after these losses, He will always step up to the microphone and be just a stand-up dude. And I appreciate that a lot about him. Like, I know it's a cliche and it gets overused. Like, great kid, great guy, but I absolutely mean it about McGurl. Like, that's a stand-up individual with a lot of character who's endured a lot this year. And he got to have his moment. He got to have his moment, and not just a moment that got K-State a win... Not just a moment that was really cool, bang, 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 on TV. It's the fact that it came against a significant opponent. The fact that it came against a top 10 team. It came against the number 7 team in the country. And while Bruce Weber said after the game last night, hey, I wanted him to be the lead on SportsCenter, that's not happening on a day when Tiger Woods almost dies in a car accident. But he still got to have a really nice moment in the spotlight. 
And you can't take that away from a girl. And these are the moments that in what's been just a depressing, awful season, you do have to savor and enjoy for what it is. There's been so many times this year, especially during the 13-game losing streak, when when Mike McGurl has tried to be the senior and the leader he's supposed to be and put the team on his back, you know, try to lead them to a comeback, you know, try to get them in a in a situation where they can maybe win some of these games, but they just they, they weren't, not and, even close. And a lot of times it doesn't work. Like no. two games ago against Kansas when he was one for 11 with five turnovers and two points against the Jayhawks. Yeah, and, and Bruce Weber has said it. Like he was awful that game. And Mike McGurl was so upset with himself that it was kind of like a – maybe like a light bulb went out. Like, man, I got to – my senior year is coming to an end, man. I really got to get this in check. And then he goes off and scores 16 points against – TCU and then has the moment of his life when he goes back to back to back on the three pointers and I always think back to when it comes to three pointing and my three point shooting and some of my memories with K-State basketball go back to Rodney McGruner's senior year against Oklahoma he did that he went back to back to back on three pointers and I remember the place just absolutely went nuts on that third three-pointer, OU had to take a timeout. And then Mike McGurl does that his senior year on senior night, even though the Cats will get one more against Iowa State a week from Saturday. But that was such a great moment. I didn't think he was going to make the second one. I think he was just trying to draw a foul, but it went in. And his shots were just turning into heat-seeking missiles, trying to find the bottom of the net. And then the third one went in. That is something that's always going to live in my mind. That moment, I think, is something... Wildcat fans will always remember because that's what won that game for K-State. All right, their, their defense was great down the stretch, but they're not winning that game unless Mike McGurl just goes all of a sudden lights out from three-point range, knocking down these tough shots. Well, I 100% agree with that. What I don't agree with is that that is an all-time moment that we'll remember forever and we'll go down in Wildcat history as this legendary moment. And that's nothing against McGurl. I'm not saying that to take away from his moment. It's a very cool one right now. It's something that McGurl will get to cherish for the rest of his life. But we're not we're, we're not talking about like some of the ultimate Bramblage moments here. Like you I, you used the word like he was a legend for what he did last night, and I I would not go that far. Like J, Jacob Pullen's a legend for dropping 38 on Kansas. That's a legendary moment. Cartier Jada breaking away against Kansas. That's a legendary Bramlage moment. So the context around it does not help McGurl enough with that. They're, they're just a bad team. Like, I, I remember you know, Jeremiah Massey when he was here. Like, he got his moment when K-State upset Texas at the end of the year. And that was a really fun game, and it was exciting. And the, the fans rushed the floor. And I remember being pumped up about it at the time when I was a kid. But I had to think really hard to like come up with that memory here today. It's not something that I've thought about in probably 10 years. I don't go out of my way to relive that memory. So unfortunately, I think because of the context around it, this is not like some legendary all-time Bramlage moment. It's a, it's a good Bramlage moment in an otherwise wretched season. I think there's no doubt the people that were there are always going to remember that. I mean, I was sitting courtside, you know, Brady Manick, when there's three seconds left, throws it right to my spotter and it makes a hell of a catch. I'm going to remember that because that was part of the game. Seeing Mike McGurl knock down those three shots, that is always going to live in in, in my heart as a K-State fan. I think we need to open up our standards a little bit of what is a memorable moment, moment outside of what was done against the Kansas Jayhawks. All right, yes, those are great wins, and the way they got it done, we'll remember that with Jacob Pullen and, and Cartier Jada with the windmill dunk. But Oklahoma is also a great team, and I don't care if the place was 
you know, 12% full against the number seven team in the country. All right, that is not the team's fault. The circumstance which K-State was down six with less than four minutes to go, I mean, let's be real. We're all thinking, okay, this one's slipping away from K-State. Mike McGurl took the game in his own hands. They were setting Mike up for some great three-point shots, tough three-point shots. Never forget how difficult those shots were. Never forget that he made three in a row. And never forget that those threes turned K-State from a six-point deficit to a three-point lead in a 90-second span. All I'm going to say is that, well, there are a couple things. One, there have been great Bramlage moments that didn't occur just against Kansas. I I would point you to, like, I remember Rodney Magruder's breakaway dunk against number 1 Texas. That's like an all-time Bramlage moment that I'll remember just because that to me was the signature moment from that game, which was a huge game and a huge win. And I, I do think, unfortunately... The context matters a ton here. And I I also, I mean, I wonder, Mitch, if it's played up in your mind more because you are on the mic, you're doing PA for these games, you have a tendency to remember more like games that I broadcast. There are games that I broadcast that nobody will ever remember that I hold near and dear to my heart because it was a game where I was actually broadcasting. But I don't know that the average fan, even that was there, if you're somebody that's going to a lot of games, like you go to games pretty consistently and you have been for a while, I feel like it'll still get lost in the shuffle of decent to good K-State moments. I'll say good to great K-State moments of Bramlage. I don't think that one stands out particularly above the rest there. Do not take anything away from Mike. Tremendous moment. Great moment. Happy it happened. It was very cool for last night. Not legendary. Not all time. For now, Marquise, appreciate you making some time, man. Uh, How excited are you to be coming to K-State? Very excited, man. I'm glad to be a Wildcat, and um, yeah, it's going to be an exciting year. I can't wait for the fans to, to get a glimpse of who I am as a person, and uh, most importantly, and who I am as a basketball player, so can't wait. So how did, tell me how K-State wound up on your radar. It was uh, through a connection, you know, Coach Shane Southfield is from uh, New York City, so he, uh, he he's not... Um, me in with, with Coach Bruce, and it was just a, a, a connection thing. So Coach Shane Southwell definitely took, took the biggest toll on getting me to Kansas State, and I watched a couple games, and I've seen how um, the guys played, and I've seen how Coach Bruce Weber was, and I knew a lot lot about Coach Bruce. So it was, it was pretty much a no-brainer when um, he brought this uh, option up to me. And, yeah, that's how that came about. Who else were you really considering or getting a lot of interest from? Schools like Oklahoma, uh, LSU, Cal State. Um, yeah, teams like that. So those were, the, were, the, were probably like the main three, though. I'm talking with Marquise Noel, one of the newest Wildcats. So I, I've seen you play your game, man. I, I love your game and, and how tough you are at your size, but – to people who haven't seen you play, how would you describe what exactly your game is like? And um, well, when you when you watch me on the court, you're gonna see my my toughness, my grit, my heart, my will to win, and my leadership ability. Um, I've been gifted with the with the basketball IQ and the uh, willingness to to win basketball games and know how to come about winning basketball games. So when you see me, you're gonna you're going to get some entertainment. You're going to get what you paid for. And um, 
Yeah, I love putting on a show, man. Uh, I love putting on a show for the fans. I love keeping the fans engaged and entertained at all times. And my brother always told me, um, get the fans what they came to see. So uh, I definitely try to do that majority of the time. You've definitely got the, the logo range, right? You can pull up from the logo and knock it down. And that's something that we haven't seen in Manhattan. Uh, how how do you think that's going to fly with Bruce Weber if you if you come down the floor and take like a Steph Curry three from from the logo? Um, you know, I, those, those are the shots that I work on time and time again. You know, I put in countless hours in the gym. Uh, I put in a thousand shots over and over again. Um, but to answer your question. I don't think Coach Bruce Weber is going to uh, have much to say if they if they don't win most of the time. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's just I, I just believe in my preparation. I believe in my work. I believe in myself. Um, so I just feel like those shots are a part of my game, and that's that's what the fans will want to see. That's what uh, people around the world know me as. You know that logo shooter, that tough um, New York point guard. That that love being flashy, that love being entertaining. So um, that's a part of my game. Hopefully, he doesn't have much to say about it, but if he do, um, hopefully we can we can come together and, and figure something out. Marquise Noel is talking with me. I, I'm only guessing here, but man, five seven, a buck fifty five is what you're listed at. If you're that size coming up in New York, I would imagine that's where the toughness comes from, right? If you're smaller, you've got to develop that toughness to hang with everybody. Uh, am I correct in yeah. that assumption? And like, what was that like? How did you develop that toughness? Absolutely, you are correct. That's that's when um, being smaller than everybody in New York, you gotta you gotta be tougher than everybody. You gotta you gotta outwork everybody. Um, I wasn't always the biggest guy on the court, so I, I used to get kicked off most of the time. So whenever I got on, I was pretty much angry. I was angry that I, I wasn't the first one to be picked. So I guess that's just my lifestyle. That's just how I go about playing, and it's been successful thus far. And, yeah, that's it's just the New York mentality. All New York guards play tough, hard. Uh, they're going to give it their all. Um, they love the game. So that that's what you're going to see when you um, watch me play. What's the worst case of somebody in your playing career, like, underestimating you because of your size, and then you've been able to embarrass them? You have you have any good stories as far as that goes? <laughs> I seen that you uh, went to my Twitter and you saw that uh, little uh, quote I live by. But yeah, like underestimate me and um, I, I, will, I will embarrass you has been something I live by or I try to live by. Um, because you know when you when you when you step on a court with a five seven point guard, you, you think you can take advantage of them. But my my stature has nothing to do with my mindset and my IQ. So. Um, I hope nobody underestimates me, but you know that that won't happen. Just just looking at my appearance and looking at my my physique. So uh, it's just I don't know, man. You just you just don't underestimate this five seven point guard, please. <laughs> I like it. Marquise Noel <laughs> is talking with me now. I read this. I think it was in an article about. Ishmael himself, but Ishmael Masood is another guy who's coming in as a transfer, and I know he's from kind of the same area as you. Do you have familiarity? Did you used to play with him some back in the day? I definitely did. I used to play with Ishmael in, uh, in a couple of tournaments in New York City. Uh, I played on a PSA at one point where Ish was playing, so I, 
we, we definitely have a connection there, um, and that's definitely going to grow on the court and just being around him for uh, this year. And Ishmael is a great guy, man. He's a very humble kid, um, loves the game. Uh, he's willing to do whatever um, it takes to, to win a basketball game. So I think you'll also love uh, the other New York City point guard, Ishmael. Um, he's, a, he's a bit taller than me uh, by a landslide, but uh, we, we both enjoy the game. We both love having fun, and we both love um, entertainment. Well, I do have to ask this. I know you opted out toward the end of the season with Little Rock. Just what, what was the ending of your time there at, at Little Rock like with you and Coach Walker? Um, yeah, I, I knew this uh, question was coming because I've, I've answered this question multiple times for like the past three to four interviews. But it, it, it was nothing that, that necessarily – well, it was a miscommunication that happened with just the Little Rock in the program. Um, I'm going to keep in-house – um, in house because I don't want to go spreading business um, around, but it was just a miscommunication with the with the with the team, and I just felt like my time has expired at Little Rock. You know, I gave him my all three to four years, three years um, of just hard work, dedication, a championship, and um, at that point in time, I I think it was best for me and my family and some other teammates to opt out um, at that certain time. So. Like I said, I'm going to keep in-house. in-house. Um, I don't want to go spreading business, but, yeah, my time just has expired there. Um, I love Little Rock organization. I love the schools. Um, I don't have no bad blood towards Coach Darrell Walker or anybody on the coaching staff, So my time just has um, expired. Totally fair, and I, I very much appreciate you answering the question. I'm talking with uh, mm-hmm. Marquise Noel. So my producer, he's not actually here. I wish he was right now with me. But he, so he lived in New York for a year. Um, he took me to New York for the first time like two years ago, and I absolutely loved it. So from where where you're from, like what are what are the spots? What are the go to spots? Like next time I go to New York, where do I need to be getting food or whatever it might be? Yeah, you definitely have to try Sylvia's. Um, it's like a tofu restaurant that's that's popular. Then you have to go. You had, definitely have to go sightseeing and go to New York. You had to go visit the World Trade, the Empire State Building, um, MSG, Madison Square Garden. That whole uh, 42nd to 59th Street is beautiful. When you go out there, you can just walk and just see the uh, the buildings. It's nothing. It's, it's nothing that I can describe. It's just a feeling. It's a feeling that you you will have to go and feel for yourself. The last thing I have for you here, Marquise, is also my producer, Mitch. He always, like, he will pick out a guy uh, from a K-State team to, like, be his dude. Last time he did this with the football team, he wound up picking the freshman who turned into, like, a newcomer who turned into the star. And he's already decided that you're you're his guy. You're his boy for uh, for this year on the team. So his name's Mitch. I don't know if you, if you have any kind of a shout-out to Mitch. Uh, shout-out to for, Mitch, man. Thank you, Mitch, man, for – for believing in me, seeing my potential, man. Uh, I won't let you down, and I can't wait to see you. All right, you heard the man. Mitch Fortner just said it. Shane Southwell is with us here on the game. Uh, appreciate the time, Shane, for joining us, as always. This has been a busy offseason so far for you guys, bringing in the three transfers that you have. Uh, how crazy has this been so far for you since the season ended? Um crazy uh that's a good word to use though possibly uh definitely uh frantic 
um, the new transfer portal and then the way that it just worked out with this particular all season for us, uh, we definitely had to, to get some work done just to upgrade our roster um, and to, to, to just continue to add pieces from that uh, from the, the departures that we had. Uh, but so we did. We think we did pretty well um, as a staff. Um, we're just we're just excited to get our guys here in, in June and uh, see how it goes. Man, what is it like as a coach? Now, like you, you are recently on the other side of this as a player. Now you're seeing the the development and the explosion of the portal, where there's two thousand kids in. And I mean, like as a coach, if you're looking for somebody, like how overwhelming is this? How wild is it to see what's happened to all of this? Definitely overwhelming. Um, I think it's over almost fourteen hundred names in the portal currently right now. Uh, so it's definitely overwhelming. Um, I think it's just something that we're going to have to get used to and um, kind of use it as an advantage over the next few years, not only Kansas State, but college coaches everywhere. Um, obviously, it's something different. Obviously, it's something new. Um, but it's a different addition to your, your job uh, as a recruiter and things of that nature. Um, the 80s was different from the 90s. The 90s were different from the early 2000s. The early 2000s were different from the 2010s. And now we're doing that in 2021. So, uh, it's just the, where it's at right now, and we just got to keep 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 uh, updating with the times. Shane Southwell talking with us. Yeah, I know Bruce uh, had said earlier in a couple of interviews that Chris Kleiman actually was somebody who kind of pushed him to like, hey, you need to embrace this instead of fighting against it because Bruce has not been shy about the fact that he doesn't like the rule in general to allow kids to transfer uh, one year penalty free without having to sit out a year. Like, how much encouragement did you have to? give to Bruce and be somebody saying like, hey, what what if we embrace this, we can actually use this to our advantage here moving forward? Um, I think we all did as a staff and just the the, the, the tale of how the season went um, and the story of how the season went. Um, we had obviously one of the youngest uh, teams in the country, not only in the Big 12, but in the country. And when you add that to the fact of being in the Big 12, um, it's definitely difficult to win. And our guys did as best as they could. Um, it came along later in the season. Um, but we knew we had to add not only good value, but older value with some experience. So we almost we, we have almost 2,100 points, I believe, to come into our program right now, which is really, really good, really, really big time for us. Um, and like I said, the experience factor is probably the most exciting part. So we knew we had to add experience. Um, and I think Coach was definitely, definitely on board about that. Um, and he was definitely a guy towards the end of the season that I didn't have to uh, kind of kickstart anything. He, he knew it. And we all knew as a How different would things have looked back when you were playing if you had a free year to, to go transfer? How, how different would that have been? I, I'll just tell you this, man. You, you, ask, you always ask the right questions. And you, <laughs> <laughs> and you, you ask an explosive question. I'm going to just say this. Um, it would be very, very interesting. Um, I think from any time period or any kid, the way of life, it was obviously uh, not – not necessarily a trend when, when I was playing. Um, so everybody just kind of had the mind state, unless it was something to go back home closer to being back home because of a family situation, you know, you was always kind of with, with the mind state of, you know, uh, uh, finish it out, you know, make the situation that you're, you're at the best situation. Um, and that's what ended up happening here at Kansas State for a lot of us and even particularly me. So um, it, it, it's definitely different. Um, but I'll tell you this, you, you're really good at asking the right questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to ask you off-air sometime. I'll remember to ask that off-air the next time <laughs> I see you. Right, please. Uh, please. Shane, Shane Southwell is is talking with us here. 
So tell me about uh, we just had Marquise Noel on in, in the first hour of the show. Tell me about him. He's a he's a New York kid. I love watching him shoot from the logo. I love his toughness at just five foot seven. Um, what is it that you guys saw in him, and what can you tell us about him as a player? Man, Marquise is obviously somebody that I've I known for a while. But to be honest with you, when we talk about um, all the different things that we needed to add during our off season, um, obviously you see the size and things of that nature. But um, he provides, he checks all those boxes. Um, and I think the biggest value that is, is a little bit underlooked is uh, is all overlooked um, is the fact that he's a champion. Um, so bringing another guy along with Mike McGill to add some championship DNA was really, really important for us. Um, and that was something that we really, really kind of put our mark on. And we understand, obviously, the type of play and the type of dynamic he brings to the game from a quickness standpoint, pushing the rock, uh, shooting the basketball from deep, like you said, being able to make plays um, um, without necessarily calling a play uh, was, was really important for us to get. But like I said, the biggest important was his championship DNA that he already um, demonstrated in, 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 in college. Now, I know that he being from New York, had already been to Little Rock, Arkansas, so it probably is not as tough to sell Manhattan, Kansas to him because he's experienced that. But you brought in Maximus Edwards, Ishmael Massoud, guys who are all from that area. Like how, how tough is it to sell Manhattan, Kansas to kids that are much more familiar with Manhattan, New York, uh, than Manhattan, Kansas? I mean, I, I think it's definitely um, um, different. But I think for me personally, it's... It, I can sell the, the story a little bit differently because I play. Um, so it brings that um, factor in there where guys will listen. Um, obviously, Manhattan, New York is a lot different from Manhattan, Kansas. Um, but, you know, it's, it's certain guys is going to make this place special. Certain guys is going to want to be at Kansas State. Um, we always use it. We, we always use it. Coach Weber always said uh, we want guys that want to be at Kansas State. So if you want to be, want to go to a school where you can focus, get better, and develop, and be a part of a of a family, um, Kansas State can be that place and should be that place for any guy anywhere in the country, wherever they're from, um, the suburbs or the city. Um, and we've done great with city guys. You know, I think I think I played with six city guys myself. Um, New York City tri-state area guys, just myself alone. Um, I think Coach Weber coached, I believe, five. Your tri-state area guys, and I might be wrong in, in terms of the numbers, but it's something to that nature over the over his time frame in Kansas State. So that just shows um, how well we've been doing um, in that area um, over these last 10, 11 years. Shane Southwell with us here on the game. I'm thrilled about adding more shooting and more scoring. I think it was clear that, that you guys needed that. But this is a program that does pride itself on defense. Do you feel like there's any kind of sacrifice with what you guys lost and now what you're bringing in at the defensive end of the floor? Um, it's always uh, uh, when you lose any anybody to your team, it's always something that um, is, is a loss. Uh, definitely when you lose guys like the big one, Gordon Antonio, Gordon Rudy Williams, um, those guys were great defenders and helped us um, definitely when we started getting better defensively over, over the stretch of the year. Um, so obviously you're going to lose something with that. You lose chemistry, but hopefully if we do a great job of, of building that chemistry in the summer, um, that's why it was important to get older guys. And we think we got the right older guys, the guys that wanted to be at Kansas State. Um, and, and, and like you said, defense is what we're known for. So we think that if we could get the right guys um, to buy into what we do defensively, we think we can teach it to anybody and we can be successful. 
We appreciate the time as always. It's always a blast to talk to you. Congratulations on your success in uh, in the coaching profession and look forward to seeing you guys on the floor next year, man. Oh, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate it. Some feel like K-State's coaching staff got catfished a little bit here with the latest transfer that K-State added last week. Now, I didn't really have a chance to talk about it because at Thursday and Friday off, getting ready for Big 12 track. But we are going to talk about it today. Reggie Stubblefield was a transfer from Prairie View A&M. He's a defensive back that K-State has added to the roster. And what has happened here is... He appears to have really embellished some of the stats and accolades on his own personal social media accounts that he actually has here. And so the question has become, did K-State get catfished? (laughs) Which is ridiculous. And I say that not just because of the ridiculousness of having to even address that topic here, but also the ridiculousness of thinking that that's exactly what happened here. And if you're unfamiliar with the term, the show Catfish on MTV... All about online dating, people who pose as somebody that they are not, and then typically the show, it's like the big reveal at the end, all right, I'm suspicious, is this person actually who they say they are, do they look like it? Spoiler alert, most of the time, they do not. So that's the reference. I do not believe that that actually happened here. Here are the details. Um, Reggie Stubblefield had said, and look... He duped me. I did not think I needed to fact check this, but you looked at his profile on Twitter. It said FCS All-American, Prairie View A&M. So I said, hey, K-State just landed an FCS All-American. He was also rolling with this stat that he had blocked eight kicks in his career. A lot of people use that. I believe he even got Big J Journo Kellis on that. Now, Kellis, if you're wrong, send me a text. But I believe at first he got, he got all of us. He got Derek... All of us. Nobody thought they needed to fact check that. Lesson learned on our end. But it does not appear that he has blocked eight kicks. It is very hard to determine the specifics of the statistics that he has because Prairie View A&M just frankly has not done a very good job of chronicling that. So I, I think Reggie Stubblefield was taking somewhat advantage of the fact that there was not a lot of great information out there. He also said he had 45 TFLs. That's a pretty outrageous number. That also appears to be very much incorrect. We're not even sure that he was All-League as opposed to FCS All-American. Again, a difficult thing to figure out. It appears that he was preseason All-League at one point in time. I, I digress. He souped up his stats on Twitter in a very 2021 recruiting kind of move. And so the question now becomes, like, is should that be a deal breaker for K-State on this kid? Should that be a deal breaker for people in the confidence of the staff? Is Neve Shulman going to show up at the Veneer Football Complex ready for another episode of MTV's Catfish? Perhaps the most important question. And if he is, please let me know so that I can be a part of that because I spent way too much of my mid-20s watching that guy on television. I think the question is, is Reggie Stubblefield now going to call out the K-State and college football media for, for blowing up that these numbers are wrong and then start calling us fake news and now we're in this battle of well who is the real fake news i don't think that's going to happen at all now i think we're here's where we got duped i think we're, we're used to believing the information we see but the thing is especially when it comes to sports and stats because it's really easy to go back that up at least it should be 
but is it common for a student athlete to post his stats in his Twitter bio or on his Twitter account? I don't think I've really even seen that very often. Usually, you'll see oh, like a look harder. You'll see a link. You'll see a link to you know a rival's profile or his profile on the uh, on the uh, school's website, the athletic website, where you'll see like a post to a YouTube video of a highlight reel. That's typically what you get in the bio. You don't actually usually get the stats. Maybe you get the stars, but you don't get the stats. I don't think I'm used to seeing that. I'm just used to well, he's not good a, reporting. He's not a recruit. So he's a guy trying to market himself for a transfer. You see a lot of like all American or, you know, whatever. So the FCS All American part, like that's not surprising at all. Some of the stats yeah, maybe you're not typically going to see it like outright in the bio of a profile, but you'll see. I mean, I don't think it's outrageous. I don't think it's too out there for today. I mean, this is today. Like every, I hesitate to criticize the kids too much because I would be doing the exact same thing if I were them in their situation. Because I and we, as a public at large, all do the same damn thing on social media. It's your highlight reel. So if you're an athlete, your highlight reel becomes your accomplishments. And if you're an athlete that's in Reggie Stubblefield's position. Where your school, we were looking at his bio, like they have pictures scrolling by, but only one of them is actually of him. Like they don't even have great action shots of him as a player. The stats are very spotty. They have his name spelled wrong. They have his name spelled two different ways in their cumulative stats, if you can actually dig those up. Even on his jersey, if you watch film of him, at one point his jersey is spelled wrong. The name on the back of his jersey is spelled wrong. So the kid... He was just—he's playing at an HBCU that that just clearly appears to be understaffed when it comes to communications, marketing, promotions. Took it upon himself to fudge the numbers and try and do it himself. And I think this will be a fascinating part of what happens with the portal now, because I would imagine this is not going to be the first time you see this—a kid that's from a smaller school that has big eyes now looking at everybody that's you know like the Briley Moores of the world that are transferring up from FCS to FBS and using that as a launching pad for their career. Well, hey, I haven't had anybody try and promote me. I'm going to be in my own marketing department here and take matters into my own hands, do whatever it is I can to get people's attention and give me a spot at a bigger school. Now, as far as the merits of that go, how do we receive that? How do we take that here at K-State, especially riding an offseason in which K-State has preached locker room culture over and over again? Last year, at the end of the year, wheels fall off, 11 transfers in the middle of the season. It's all about locker room culture. We need to fix that. We heard that about all five transfers that they brought in. And, well, and then the sixth, Cade Warner. I mean, that's another guy. It's like a locker room guy. Now, all of a sudden, you're adding a defensive back who has been fudging his stats on his bio and being just very emblematic of, I think, the 2021 athlete and the 2021 college kid. To me, though, it's I, I don't like I said I don't think that this is some fireable offense for the staff. I don't think they got totally catfished. If you think that looking at a kid's Twitter bio and only taking him at his word for stats and like not looking at film or not talking to coaches or doing checking any part of his background, if you think like that's where it stops, it's just that surface level. Like opening up my phone and being like, "Oh, FCS All American," you're very much incorrect. They. Whatever you think of the staff, even if you think that they, they suck and they aren't good and they last year, the last six games of last season are what they are, it's, there's cognitive dissonance going on if you're saying they don't do more homework than just that. They do. They do. 
But if your opinion is, well, after this, I, I just don't want the kid anyway. That seems too risky. We can't take him in as a locker room risk. I'll listen to that. I understand it. I'll listen to it. To me, it's still not a deal breaker. And a lot of that is because what are the options? K-State desperately needs defensive back help. Desperately needs defensive back help. I don't think that, especially now that we know the reality of the stats and the accolades, like I don't think that this kid is like a starter, comes in and starts, but they, they do need bodies in the secondary. Um, you know, especially pending what happens with T.J. Smith and his health. They need bodies. We're in May. They're running out of time. Yes. Is there a level of desperation here? Yes. On both sides. The kid, I think, desperate to get to a better place. K-State desperate for some fairly legitimate bodies in the secondary. And that does change things. But because of the situation K-State is in, because they have done a lot of work to the locker room, because all these other guys have been culture guys, and because I do trust that they do more homework than just simply looking at a guy's Twitter bio, it's not a deal breaker for me. It has my antenna up. It has me saying, hey, this is something to monitor. But I don't think it's a deal breaker. I'll I'll put it to you this way. If you are a 31-year-old single male in Manhattan, Kansas, and you open up your phone, and you open up Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, whatever your dating app of choice is, You can set certain deal breakers. I think in Hinge, they even call it a deal breaker. Like, hey, if she's a cat person, like, I'm out. If they're under a certain height, I'm out. Don't even show them to me. If they are Republican, Democrat, whatever, don't show them to me. A lot of different settings you can use there. In Manhattan, Kansas, as a 31-year-old single male, you do not put any deal breakers in there. You know why? Your options are limited. Your options are already limited. There's nothing wrong with having standards, which I think K-State should have a standard in this situation because, yes, he may have not lied about what he looks like or where he's from, but, and I'm not accusing anybody of being a liar because I don't know the full story here, you know, but it, it, it seems to me that he has lied about his height, his weight, and how many kids he has. But you make and, exceptions based on the dire straits that you may be in apropos comparison between dating apps, limited market that you're in, limited size of the place that you're in, you you have to kind of just take what you can get. They need somebody to play defensive back. It would tell you what they think of the idea of like Ross Elder or Ryan Hennington being out there as the nickelback because they do need bodies and they'd be willing to still take this kid in spite of this happening. All right, back here on the game, John Kurtz with Mitch Fortner today, and we are very happy to be joined right now by a name that uh, a lot of you will recognize, former Wildcat Aaron Lockett. That Lockett name certainly means a ton to K-State fans these days and has throughout history. And I'll start here, Aaron. Thank you for joining us. You know, we did the pregame show, Powercat Game Day, with Kevin for shoot, three, four, five years, something like that. So I've talked to Kevin plenty, but I am glad that we finally now have the faster of the two uh, Lockett brothers on the airwaves. So thank you for uh, joining us to make that happen. Well, thank you for the invitation. Greatly appreciate it. And yes, I am the faster of the two. What? Uh, okay, let's... I, I was reading, I was doing a little research here, and I know it said, there was an article that said you had one of the fastest times in the Combine history, and then I tried to click the link, I couldn't find it. So what? what was your 40 time at the Combine? 
So I ran a 40 in 2002 in Indianapolis. I ran a 431 electronic. And at that time and point, only nine other people had run faster than a 431. Since then, in 2003, um, when they changed the turf or so, um, there's been blazing times galore. But, yep, prior to 2002, there were only a handful of people that had clocked under a 431. Man, well, 431 is not bad. <laughs> I would hang my hat on that. <laughs> I would hang my hat on that for sure. We're talking with uh, with Aaron Lockett. So what sparked my brain here, and I'm honestly, we should have had you on a long time ago. Obviously, you're somebody as a K-State fan growing up that I remember extremely fondly. But I saw, this is very cool, you're the founder and owner of Next Page Sports, and you got uh, Tyler signed up to be uh, a client for you guys. So I'm reading the tweet here. As founder owner of Next Page Sports, we're excited to announce the signing of our first client at TD Lockett to a marketing deal. Obviously, that's really cool. Uh, if you can just give us some of the background on what it is you're doing today and what it means to, to get Tyler locked up there. Oh, sure. So for the uh, post, post my five-year playing career, I spent a year and a half in NFL for three years up in Canada. Um, for the last 15 years, I'm here in UC Texas. I've been working in oil and gas, and so I've just acquired a number of skill sets that's in my toolbox now. And so when you look at like financial strategy, optimization operations, and business development, I finally found a way to take all of my skills and marry it with my passion, and I decided to build my own sports agency. And so Next Page Sports is the name of that agency, and it's really built on listening to our clients. And so I have a team of three. Um, I have actually Kylie uh, uh, Cook, who is Michael Smith's daughter. She is my lawyer, and she will also be a certified contract advisor to represent NFL players. And then I have a gentleman named Spurgeon Wynn, who's an ex-quarterback by the Cleveland Browns, he will be uh, one of my agents for our coaching division. And so Next Page Sports will represent football coaches, um, college and pro, and then we'll represent uh, professional football players and basketball players. So I just got my NBA certification in March of this year. I'll have my NFL certification by July. It's been postponed a year based on the pandemic, so I'm a year behind, but I'm okay with that. It gave me time to do brand awareness. And then we have a marketing division. And so what you guys just saw was just opening up the marketing division, and I've signed Tyler as my first client for the marketing division. Very cool, man. That is awesome that uh, you've been able to merge everything like that. As his uncle, what has it been like to watch Tyler take off and his career take off the way that it has? You know what? It's been incredible. I think uh, my family can honestly say we've seen every play that Tyler's made um, probably since he stepped on Kansas State all the way into now. Um, I think for us, we view it differently than the fans. We look at it more from a football aspect. And so <clears throat> as I look at Tyler play, I'm looking more at some of the routes he's running. What does he look like from the backside? But he's just flourished. Um, I think he's taken my game, Kevin's game, and everybody he's played with. <clears throat> and he's put that now in a position where he's been very successful on a professional level. And he's getting better and better. So I'm just... I'm a big fan of his, and uh, I wait for Sundays like it's like no other day in the week. But uh, every Sunday, you can catch me in front of the tube or actually at the game, and I'm rooting loud as any fan out there. Aaron Lockett talking with me here on the game. What is the first time you can remember watching Tyler and being like, man, he's got a chance to be really special? Like, at what point did that really hit you, that he had the kind of talent to take him where he's at? You know, it's interesting. It, it had to be um, – his freshman year at Kansas State because his pads looked a little bit big and he didn't look like he was quite as fast. But it was the fourth quarter. It was 0-0 ball game. They threw him back there as a returner. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And it was to the back of the end zone. And I was like, come on, just catch the ball. 
And not only did he catch it, but he hit the gap and split it and almost broke it for 90. And I said, he's got something. I always wondered if he if it was going to transition from high school to college because that's a big leap for most guys. But at that second, I saw that he had that that to make that that route. And uh, I mean that return. And so from there, he scored the next week against Miami, his first career touchdown. And from there, he just took off. I like it. That's a good memory. I'm impressed. Um, <laughs> what's the scouting report on Sterling then, who's now committed to K State? So Sterling is a little bit taller than Tyler. He's more he's more built like Kevin. He's got wider shoulders, not quite as fast as Tyler, but great route runner, especially just being a junior in high school, catches the ball extremely well. I think he'll be a student of the game. Um, looking forward to see him transition as well, but I've seen him back as a returner, and so he's running track now, so he's working on that turnover. We'll get him right, and so when he gets on campus, I'll be excited to see what he can do when this time comes. Aaron Lockett is chatting with me. When you look back on your playing days, what stands out to you as your favorite moment, your favorite memory? What what do you take with you the most from your playing days? I probably didn't realize how good we were in 1998. I was just a, a red shirt freshman while I was out there, just happy to get some playing time and make some plays. And um, for those that watched that year, I didn't play a lot in the first three games. And I was wondering if I was going to really get a chance to play. And so I really got a chance against Northeast Louisiana game four. And from there, it took off. But I didn't realize that, you know, Bishop was as good as he is and Darnell McDonald and, and, and Coop on the back end from defense and Lamar Chapman, like Jeff Kelly, Seminole. When you look at those guys, like Ben Lieber, McGraw, Darren Howard, like it's incredible that I would honestly say that's probably one of the better football teams in the last 20-plus years, and I stand on the table for that one. Um, we just had the talent that was just incredible, and it was, it was pretty cool to be a part of that. Well, you're you're preaching to the choir there because as a kid <laughs> who was born in 1989, man, and I, I grew up coming to all the games like 1998. I hold in such lore. I I you were the best team in the country that year. I can we agree on that 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 was a team that was absolutely robbed of a national championship. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the year. But um, just being a part of that, I, I think some of my biggest memories is just. Um, you know, Bishop threw me that 97-yard pass in a post corner. Um, just catching it here in the crowd world and going up, just letting me know that I was playing big-time football. And so I always appreciate Kansas State and the fans for the way they've treated our family, but just giving us opportunity to use their platform to show our ability. All right, I'm going to apologize in advance for this question, but was Sorry? it – was it well? Okay, I'll apologize in advance for that question as well because that question is coming. But <laughs> before that, I don't know which one's going to be worse. Um, was it the fact that they leaked the the UCLA Miami score at the game against A and M? Is that what did it? Like uh, I'm I'm just looking desperately for some conspiracy theory to latch onto as to why A uh, and M went downhill the way it did. Look, I'll, I'll give K-State Nation something they've never heard before, and I was so sure that this was going to happen. It was overtime, and we had the ball, and they ran me on the end of the round, and I told them I'm going to score and win the game, and I got smashed at the two-yard line. And from there, we just didn't win the game. And so I'll take blame for not, not getting in the end zone that route. I don't think it was the Miami game. I think we just we had it, right? The fumble hurt, of course, but it's just it started as a domino effect. We just time couldn't run out quick enough, and uh, they got lucky, came back, and man, the rest is history. But that was uh, we left that one on, on the field. That was that was on us. All right, was it 
in any way, like distraction, the coaches that had left that announced they were leaving for Oklahoma? Do you buy in at all to that theory? No, because they were all no. I mean, we 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 were up. We had it. We yeah. just we just gave it a we just gave it a. It's just one of those things that is just better left, you know, uncomfortable. Well, here's what I'm going to do next. And Aaron Lockett is talking with us, by the way. Mitch, you were the one that brought up to me in our pre-show meeting today. Oh well, we have to ask about. Troy Polamalu, and it's already been addressed that that was going to come up. So I'll just let you be the bad guy here. You can ask about it. Well, I wanted to know before the hit took place if there was anything that led up to Troy being angry with you or if there was somebody else on USC's team that was angry with you and that's why that laid in that hit or is it just it was just completely out of nowhere and nobody was expecting it? I think it was just completely out of nowhere from our end. Um, I believe they, they focused on me just for as a returner. Um, what's ironic about that is, do you know who the head coach of USC was at that time? Was it Pete Carroll? It was Pete Carroll. And so when Tyler's name got called on draft day by Seattle, we said, guess who's the coach? Pete Carroll. So <laughs> it was just one of those situations where it was like, oh, I guess you got to forgive, right? And so, you know, Troy's a great player. I had a chance to meet Troy later on after, and uh, we never really talked much about it. But if you watch him play in the NFL, he played like that all the time. He's always flying around and jumping. And so he had a little bit of Roy Williams in him. But, yeah, I, I think that was a dirty hit. But other than that, he, he's been a decent player. But, yeah, they definitely took a cheap shot on me. Do you remember, like, what – leading up to it, like, did you have any idea that it was coming at all? Because I I would just think you're in that position all the time where guys are flying at you, right? So you're probably not expecting it? Yeah, it, it never happened before, right? Like, I never knew that somebody would just take a cheap shot like that, and I didn't believe in fair catching. Like, I wanted to return it. Like, I had a chance to take it to the house. And so, no, it was just a flat-out cheap shot, if you look at it from any angle. Aaron Lockett is talking with us. You know, another thing that I always think of, not quite in the same vein of 98 A&M, obviously, but one of the things that always bums me out about a guy that you played with, David Allen, you know, he should have had that record for most return touchdowns. It gets called back against Iowa, and then he gets hurt, and he's mm-hmm. out the rest of the year, which did yeah. open up a lot of opportunity for you. But, like, what? How, how tough is that to think about? That How much did he deserve? I'll put it this way. How much did he deserve to have that record, and what was it like returning kicks alongside him? Oh, man, David was probably one of the most athletic guys I've met. He was a born punt returner. Like, he naturally returned the ball. He could catch it in any position he needed to catch it. Um, I think David was by far the best returner in the nation. Um, And so for David to get hurt, he went through a couple of ankle injuries to kind of, you know, put him on the sideline and that hurt him. But, you know, Kansas State at that time, the point of started to bring in enough talent to where I returned in high school. And so it took me a little bit to get going, but – Definitely learned a lot from David. Um, but if you look at the history of Kansas State, right, and I'm not talking about after me, even before me, if you look at the Andre Coleman and the Jimmy Deans of the world, all of these guys have been returners. And so it's not just that Kansas State has always had a strong special teams unit, but they've always brought guys in that bought into the system. And so the talent has always been there. And then you merged that with the coaching. And so what Sean Snyder did and, and John Pappas when, when I was there has been incredible. And I just love to see the special teams unit today. There's no team ever that's been better than Kansas State in special teams across the board. Yeah, no, amen to that. Aaron Lockett with us here. And I've got just a couple to leave you on. One, 
is there a good anecdote, a good story you can share about you and or Kevin growing up? Like, what was the Lockett household like growing up? In return, we would, we would play tackle football in the living room. And every now and then, I would I would get a couple of tackles and think I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, and he would get serious on me. And then I realized that he wasn't a big guy, but I wasn't much bigger. And so because of that, he felt like he was so much bigger. Um, just always competitive at the house. Um, I didn't really realize how good of an athlete he was until I saw him go to college. Um, I watched him in high school, and then, you know, he, he dunked one time in senior year, and I thought, oh, he can jump. You know, he can dunk. And, you know, and, and football, he was catching up. He was so skinny, though. You know, but when he got to college, he started to do it against the Nebraska's and the Colorado's of the world, and from there on, I knew that he was a, a pretty good athlete. Yeah, no, he arrived right away in 1993. He was, he was balling out for sure. Uh, the last thing here... Again, I I don't know if you're how you'll react to this, but uh, your Wikipedia page I'm reading along and it's like, uh, and by the way, Aaron Lockett is a is an accomplished rapper. rapper. <laughs> yes. So I, I look and I look at the link. I click the link and it's it's like an old scouting report of you coming out for the draft and just dropped in the scouting report was that you were an accomplished rapper. So I would I would love to know about Aaron Lockett's uh, rap career. Hey. Yeah, so full-blown rapper in high school, um, performed in talent shows since my freshman year in high school. Spent every weekend my senior year when I when I stopped playing basketball in Los Angeles at Sound Castle Studios record music. And so ironically, when I was out there in 1996, Kobe Bryant was in the studio next to me. Wow. Um, and so Kobe had just got drafted uh, by the Lakers. And so... Small world, I didn't know Kobe, didn't know who he was, other than he was a six-foot-six guy that wanted to rap. Um, and so rest in peace. But I remember uh, spending my weekends out there. And so when I went to college, um, I almost went to UCLA because I wanted to make music and play football. But I had to obviously make a decision between the two. And so I put the rap career aside. But oh, if I didn't play football and if I didn't run track, then I most likely would have been a rapper fresh out of high school. That is awesome. Like, that's really cool that you got to go out there yeah. and do that. I Are these tapes or CDs, whatever, like, are they around somewhere? Can I find you on Spotify? Like, how do I listen I to uh, Aaron uh, Lockett? Look, I hope <laughs> not. I made one full-blown, at that time, single that I had put out, and it was more for promotional activity just to make sure that there was a fan base. Um, but from there on, I turned around and went to college, and um, as I got to Kansas State, started focusing on football, and before I knew it, that took over. And uh, so I, was, I did a couple of shows on the side. So, like, I did the slant. Um, I did some pregame rapping for one of game day uh, films before K State game, but for the most part, I put it on the shelf and uh, never looked back. Now, what was your rap name? Were you under Aaron Locker? Did you have an, an alias? Oh no, I had a. They call it a monarchy. I had uh, so my my rap name was Strange. Strange. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, if if Strange ever makes a comeback, please let me know. I would love <laughs> I would love to listen. We'll help promote it as much as we can around here. I appreciate that. All right, Aaron, uh, thanks for being a good sport and playing along with us, man. This was a lot of fun. Great to catch up, and best of luck uh, with everything you guys are doing at Next Page Sports. All right, sounds good. Look forward to talking to you guys soon. Bradley Moore is a great dude, very affable, and very open, and a good interview, willing to share a lot. So I think you'll enjoy this, including at the very end. Boy, you better stick around until the end, because if you're somebody that thinks this My Guy curse is real, you really need to listen to the end of this interview. But here's Briley on where things have been and what it's been like getting ready for the draft. It's been a fun experience. I uh, 
know, since I was just a little kid, this is what I dreamed of. Um, uh, so it's, I've been trying to soak it all in and not let it, not let it be too much or be too big. Um, I went out to Phoenix, Arizona originally, um, to train for pro day, which was amazing, um, to be out there and, you know, be surrounded by guys from all around, uh, the country, um, with, you know, chasing the same, the same dreams and, you know, be surrounded by a bunch of, a bunch of high level football players that are in the NFL currently too, and see how they work. And, you know, now, now we're back in, back, uh, back home in Kansas city and just been training and, and getting ready for this weekend. Yeah. How'd you feel like your pro day went as far as the numbers are concerned and what you wanted to hit? Um, I thought it went pretty good. I, uh, was hoping to hit a little bit better on the, um, on the 40, uh, from the time that they gave me, but then kind of talking to teams after, um, on what specific time that their their scout had, I was I heard a couple better numbers. So so I, I thought I thought overall it was good. I was able to showcase you know myself as an athlete all around, um, and and so I thought it thought it was it was pretty good. What was your forty time? Were you able to share that? Um, the time that they gave me officially was a four six four. Um, I had a so two weeks before when I was out in Phoenix, I ran a four six two laser. Um, which is what a combine you know would have been. So I was hoping to be in the four fives, high four fives. Um, but I did talk to a couple teams after that that said that their scouts had me um, in the high four fives. So I was I was good with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you hear from from scouts and other NFL folks about like what what they feel like your best attributes are and what they like the most about you right now? Um, you know, versatility is the biggest thing that continues to come up um, in every phone call. How. You know, when I was at Kansas State, I was asked to do so many different things, um, line up, you know, on the ball and be the point of attack and, and be off the ball as the, the F or the H back and move around, and, you know, split out into the slot, line up at fullback. Um, so versatility is the, the biggest thing that I hear and, you know, kind of something I've always prided myself on, being able to, to do um, anything I'm asked and, and not just be one dimensional, just a pass catcher, just a blocker. Um, so you know, that's, that's been something that's came up a lot. Um, and then kind of just, you know, the way that I play, you know, I play, um, play hard and I try to finish people. And, and a lot of the, the tight end coaches that I've talked to have, have mentioned that and say that, you know, that's what they're looking for and they'd love to see that. So it's been, it's been some really good feedback. I'm talking to Briley Moore right now. One thing that I've seen come up and I think it was Chris Sims actually the other day who said it was just like how good of a run blocker you are. And I know yeah. that you had to do quite a bit at K-State it seems like nowadays, like tight ends, it's become such a sexy position, right? With these <laughs> tight ends, but that's, that's the dirty work that I would imagine a lot of people really want you to do. Like how much do you feel like that really sure. helped you out your, your ability as a run run blocker? Oh, I think it's helped me a ton in, in just the past couple of months, really. Um, just, you know, the more film that coaches watch um, and stuff, the more, you know, my stock has kind of, kind of went up a little bit um, because, you know, it's, it's a lot of the stuff in run blocking is, is, stuff that you know if you're just watching the game you might not really see um and so did you get me did I, yeah yeah did I, I got you yeah so um you know when i was at northern iowa i wasn't really asked to to do as much um when it came to run blocking and and stuff like that so once i got to kansas state um and i was asked to do that that i was able to showcase a lot more um you know, of that I have in my, in my game. And so, um, it's really, really helped me a lot. It's just, it's funny because my four years at Northern Iowa, I was, I was always, you know, that pass catching 
um, tied in that, that didn't really block as much. Um, and then I get to, to Kansas State, and I'm asked to do a lot more, and I'm able to, to showcase a lot more. And now, you know, I'll hear you know, somebody will say, oh, yeah, you're, you're a really good run blocker. And I just kind of chuckle to myself because, you know, I've always prided myself on that and stuff. But, you know, to see it, everything that I've dreamed of and, you know, everything I've thought about myself come to fruition, um, it's been fun. How much of the motivation to get to K-State was thinking about the next level and just getting a chance to create some more exposure that you just can't get at the FCS level? For sure. That was that was one of the one of the things that really made me um, you know, make that decision to enter the transfer portal just because, you know, I wanted to showcase that I could do it on the next level. Um, I could do it at the at the power five level and it was always a dream to play in the Big Twelve. Um, so, you know, there's I mean, there's some <laughs> Not saying that the competition is that much, um, you know, a crazy amount bigger because, you know, there's two guys coming out of, out of Northern Iowa this year that, um, you know, are going to be some uh, a couple high high uh, round picks, uh, and they're, <laughs> they're insane. Um, but, you know, in my situation, especially missing the 19th season, um, you know, I thought it was very important for me to do that. And, and uh, I mean, looking back now, um, FCS wasn't able to have a, a, a season in the fall. So, you know, it was definitely, you know, God God was walking with me throughout the whole thing, and it was definitely the right decision for me. Bradley Moore is talking with me. There are a lot of guys coming through the, the transfer portal, obviously, now, whether it is from FCS or just bounce backs. I mean, Chris Kalaman, I, heard, I think it was Gene Taylor was talking to us the other day and said he had heard Chris say that he was going to use 10 spots per recruiting class on the transfer portal moving forward now. So it's, it's going to become a huge part of, of what's going on. If you For were sure. talking to somebody in the portal who's considering K-State, like what would your message be to somebody who's considering K-State and just how well things worked out for you and, and what Chris Kleiman can do for you? No, if you're a recruit, whether it's transfer portal or high school, um, you know, go go and watch one of our games uh, live that was on TV. Um, and just the way that the, you know, everybody plays and, you know, the way we celebrate as, as team, as a team, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're out there just having fun. And, you know, it's not like that everywhere. And, um, you know, just, you know, they're going to give you the opportunity uh, to play. You've seen me come in as a transfer um, and be able to play early. You know, Deuce come in as a true freshman. I mean, they're going to play the best the best guys. Um, and it's just a great place to be. You're going to grow as a pull-up player. Um, but also you're going to grow as a man. And, you know, they, de- they demand that, you know, everybody in the locker room does, does things the right way. And that's how it should be. So, you know, anybody that that's considering them, I think, at least in my situation, it was it was really a no brainer. In your short season, I know, like just one season. Wish we had more of you, K State. But what what was your favorite moment and favorite memory uh, from your time? Um, my favorite beating Oklahoma was for sure my favorite game. I grew up grew up a OU fan. Um, that was my dream school. Uh, obviously coming out of high school, um, you know, that didn't happen and I didn't even have a Kansas state offer, but then just being able to transfer there after everything, you know, that had played out in my career and then going to their, uh, going to their, their stadium, their school and beating them there. Um, that feeling was untouched. It was, it was insane. Still feel for you. It was the Oklahoma game, right? Where you had the touchdown that got called back. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that, that was it. Uh, especially There's, now knowing that that was your childhood team growing up, man, I feel for right. it didn't count. For, for sure. I knew, I knew the second that I caught the ball and I realized nobody was by me that it was coming back. So it was, it was fun while it lasted though. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Bradley Moore uh, talking with me here. What, so you're tight with Skyler, and, and you've known him for a while, right? What's yes, a, What's a good good Skyler Thompson story that you have for us? <laughs> He's going to be so mad that I say this. Um, the one his dad always brings up. So Skyler's been a competitor since we were in the third, fourth grade, like that he is now. I mean, he was the most competitive kid that I'd ever seen at that age. And, you know, I was competitive also, but he was just on a different level. He cared. You know, if he lost, he cried. Um, he's the same way he is now. He hates losing. Um, so we were playing a basketball game. We were probably in the fifth or sixth grade. Um, we were playing against each other in basketball. And we were, we, we were friends. We knew each other. So I was kind of – it was kind of some – some tough friendly love, uh, but he was shooting a free throw and I was looking over at him and, and whispering, cry, baby, cry, baby. Uh, <laughs> but so I think, I think I might've got under his skin a little bit on that one. Um, but his dad always brings it up. That's, <laughs> that's probably the funniest story that I have that, you know, from back then. Okay. I assume he missed the free throw then after that. I, he, knowing him, he probably made it. Okay. I don't, I don't think people give him his, give him his credit for uh, how good he was at basketball. Who is somebody maybe off the radar? I mean, obviously, we know Deuce Vaughn is going to be great, but somebody under the radar that you think we should be watching for at K State this year? Um, I don't know how under the radar he is now, but I'd say Sammy Wheeler. Um, you know, feeling you know he obviously got hurt at the end of the year, right when he was starting to hit his strides, um, and be a big big part of the team. But you know he. I, he's going to be nuts. He's, he's going to, he's going to be really good and have a huge impact on the team. Um, so I'm excited to see that he's, his athleticism with his size and stuff is, is insane. So, um, you know, he's a hard worker and the more strides he can, he can make in the run game, um, you know, the better, better overall player he's going to be. But you know, this, this upcoming season, I think, I think he'll be number one in line for, for a breakout season. I like it. All right best spot in Manhattan that you're going to miss the most? Like whether that's a food spot or somewhere you hung out, like what will you miss the most about leaving? Taco Lucha, no doubt. That was, that was our spot. That was the first spot. Um, Skyler and, and Devin Kleiman took us whenever we got in, like the first day we got in town. Um, and so me and me and my fiance fell in love with it. And when we uh, came back for, for pro day, that was the first spot that we hit once I was actually able to, to, to eat. <laughs> Uh, that is my favorite place in Manhattan as well. So uh, I think that's a, that's a good choice. That's a good For choice. Sure. You big sure. guy? Big guy? I am. And when yeah. Skyler told me about it, raspberry bean dip, I was like, dude, you're crazy. I'm not even going to try that. Um, but he forced me to, and I fell in love with it. So I, uh, I'll have to get up back up to Manhattan soon to go get that because it's, it's unreal. All right. Now this is going to be a little more controversial, but, being a Kansas City area guy, Casey Metro guy, yep. the best barbecue spot in uh, Kansas City. Gates, no doubt. Oh wow! Okay, that, okay. That's always been my spot. I grew up uh, going there, especially uh, me and my grandpa would go to Chiefs games, and we'd always go to Gates right before. Um, so I grew up. I grew up on Gates. All right. So the last thing I have for you, and this is you'll have to play humor me a little bit on this one, but on the radio yeah. show. We've done this thing for a while where, like, I, I wind up with a guy on the team every year, inevitably, that I love and call my guy. And it's for, like, 10 years in a row, it was like my guy would end up transferring or getting hurt. Like, something yeah. would happen. 
but you were my guy this year and you broke the curse for me because you had a great year. <laughs> You're going to be in the NFL next year. So I would just, yep. just personally thank you for, uh, for helping <laughs> me break my, my curse there, Briley. No doubt. I'll, I'll personally thank you for giving me a little anxiety before the season. Cause I heard that show <laughs> where you guys, where you guys talked about it. Then I heard everybody else on there saying, Oh, here we go. You're going to curse them. And they started going into it. I'm like, Oh, well, I got injured and missed all of last season. I guess we're going to, We'll see what happens this season since they got the my guy curse, but it was able to work out, so I appreciate it. All right, good man. I feel bad about that now. I was like, right, he had an injury before that. Oh man, all right, all right. No well, I'm glad we can all put it in the past. Now we're good. For and, sure. Uh, now we can watch you have a long, successful NFL career, man. No, I, no uh, doubt. 